Robin Rutledge emphasizes the inseparable relationship between faith and ethical conduct in the Old Testament, OT. According to Routledge, true faith in God is not just about rituals but must manifest in right living, a principle rooted in the Abrahamic covenant. The prophets strongly condemned any attempts to separate religion from lifestyle, focusing solely on external rituals. Routledge identifies the nature and character of God as the true basis for ethical behavior. The qualities God expects from humans are the same qualities he displays in his relationship with them. Christopher Wright, another scholar cited by Routledge, argues that ethics are a response to God's nature and actions. Also, Wright states that ethics cannot be separated from one's worldview, identifying three key elements in Israel's understanding, God, the community of Israel, and the land. Routledge discusses these elements through three angles, theological, social, and land. The theological angle accentuates that Israel's ethical outlook is unique because of the unique character of Israel's God. The social angle focuses on the practical implications of a relationship with God, affirming Israel's role as a model community and a means for God's redemption to reach other nations. The land angle asserts the importance of acknowledging God as the owner of the land, linking prosperity and continued possession of the land to obedience to God. Moreover, Wright discusses the organic link between land and covenant theology, highlighting that being part of the covenant community was closely linked to being part of a landowning household. This is reflected in the OT's property rights, which are not just about property, but what it symbolizes in the community of God's people. In summary, Rutledge contends that in the OT, ethical behavior is deeply rooted in one's relationship with God, community, and land. It's not just about following laws, but about embodying the qualities that God himself displays. Furthermore, Routledge indicates the importance of the law in the Sinaitic covenant between God and his people. The law serves as a reflection of God's character and outlines how his people should live to maintain their covenant relationship. Central to the law are the Ten Commandments, which encapsulate the dual responsibilities of faith, a right attitude toward God, and ethical behavior toward others. Routledge categorizes Old Testament law into four main areas, criminal, civil, family, and social law. Criminal law addresses offenses against God and humanity. Civil law focuses on general conduct and compensation for violated rights. Family law governs relationships within the family, including issues like divorce and the rights of the firstborn. Social law aims to protect disadvantaged members of society, such as orphans, widows, and foreigners. In addition, these laws include provisions to prevent long-term poverty, such as forbidding the charging of interest and canceling debts every 7th and 50th year. Routledge suggests that the primary function of the law was to maintain Israel's distinctiveness and enable it to fulfill its mission of revealing God's glory to the world. He debates that the OT law should not be seen as a set of absolute rules for all time, but rather as a specific application of ethical principles aimed at maintaining the distinctiveness of God's people. While the law is not irrelevant to Christians, its purpose provides a context for understanding its relevance in different cultural and religious settings. The key takeaway is that the law serves to guide behavior in a way that allows for the revelation of God's glory, a principle that remains relevant for Christians today. Further, Routledge explores the relationship between ethics and narrative in the Old Testament. According to Routledge, ethical conduct in the OT is deeply rooted in Israel's history, which serves as a medium for divine revelation. The events of the Exodus, for instance, were formative for Israel's understanding of God and themselves as his people, and they also laid the foundation for ethical behavior. 
This historical context places ethical imperatives within a narrative framework. In some instances, the story of God's actions in the lives of His people serves as a call for grateful obedience, as seen in passages like Deuteronomy 5.15 and 16.12. Besides, Rutledge maintains how ethical commands are often linked to Israel's own experiences. For example, the command not to oppress aliens in Exodus 23. 9 is justified by Israel's own experience as aliens in Egypt. Similarly, instructions about the redemption of Hebrew slaves are connected to Israel's past and the imitation of God's redemptive actions. Scholars like Robin Perry and Gordon Wenham also point out the importance of narrative in understanding OT ethics. Wenham in particular suggests that narratives in Genesis can help identify virtues and ethical ideals, filling the gap between the minimum requirements of the law and the ethical aspirations of the OT writers. Overall, narrative serves as a key medium for exploring ethical ideals and principles that can be reapplied to the church. Additionally, Rutledge reiterates the role of prophets in guiding people back to the ethical foundations of their covenant faith with God. While prophets like Jeremiah may not explicitly mention the Sinaitic covenant, their teachings are deeply rooted in Israel's covenant traditions. Rutledge cites Micah 6, 8 as a summary of God's ethical requirements. To act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with God. The term mercy is translated from the Hebrew word hesed, which signifies right conduct within a relationship, particularly a covenant relationship with God. This concept is closely related to faithfulness, loyalty, and dutiful action, and it aligns with the divinely appointed social order. Justice, another key term, is not just the responsibility of kings and leaders, but is required of all God's people. In the Old Testament, Justice encompasses legal dimensions, such as fair trials and honest measures, but also extends to ethical behavior like not exploiting the needy. Also, true justice in Israelite society involves giving special protection to the vulnerable. Rutledge concludes that ethical behavior is a manifestation of one's relationship with God. Living in a covenant relationship with God naturally leads to a sense of obligation toward fellow human beings, which is practically expressed through social duty and responsibility. Moreover, Routledge explores the unique ethical framework presented in the Old Testament. Unlike other ancient law codes that are based on natural justice or societal survival, the OT's ethical norms are rooted in the revealed will of God. Ethical conduct in the OT is thus primarily theological in nature. However, Routledge also repeats instances where the OT seems to refer to a universal moral law, accessible to all humans regardless of their knowledge of God's specific revelations. For example, in Amos 1, 2, 2, 3, Israel's neighbors are held accountable for their sins, even though they may not be aware of God's law. This suggests the existence of a natural law, a universally recognized moral code that is part of the human experience. According to Routledge, this natural law is still divine in origin, as God is the creator who has embedded these laws into the universe and human conscience. Routledge links the concept of a universal moral law to the idea of a covenant with creation where God has a relationship with the natural order. This is tied to the unique relationship between God and humans, who are made in God's image. This has several ethical implications. First, humans are called to reflect God's character, which is especially significant for the people of God, but also applies universally. Second, it underlines the sanctity of human life, as seen in passages like Genesis 9, 5, 6. Third, it underscores the equality of all humans and the ethical responsibility to treat others, who are also made in God's image, with dignity and respect. This is not just a mandate for God's people, but has a broader societal application. 
Furthermore, Routledge delves into the moral and ethical teachings found in Old Testament wisdom literature, particularly in the Book of Proverbs and other wisdom texts like Ecclesiastes and Job. Routledge notes that wisdom literature primarily focuses on personal morality, emphasizing the importance of family, friendship, and social relationships. For instance, it warns against adultery and stresses the role of parents in bringing up children with moral values. However, Routledge also accentuates that wisdom literature doesn't solely focus on personal morality. It has a significant emphasis on social justice as well. It condemns unjust business practices, bribery, and exploitation, urging those in authority and the wealthy to act justly and share with the poor. These themes resonate with the messages found in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, suggesting some level of mutual influence between the sages who wrote wisdom literature and the prophets. Unlike prophetic teachings, Wisdom literature doesn't tie ethical behavior to Israel's salvation history, but rather to a theology of creation. It often draws conclusions from observations of the natural world and addresses humans as creations of God, not merely as members of a chosen people. Despite this, Routledge notes that covenant theology is still an underlying theme. Both the law and wisdom literature call for ethical behavior, but they approach it differently. While the law outlines penalties for disobedience, Wisdom literature focuses on the pros and cons of ethical behavior, thereby encouraging thoughtful consideration of ethical issues. In addition, Routledge explores the moral and ethical complexities associated with God's actions in the Old Testament. He begins by citing Abraham's questioning of God's decision to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, which challenges the notion of God as a just judge. Routledge acknowledges that the OT contains instances that seem ethically questionable by modern standards, such as the condoning of polygamy and slavery, and the command to annihilate entire peoples. Further, Routledge affirms that God's actions sometimes appear to be morally dubious. For instance, God sends an evil spirit to Saul, misleads Ahab through a lying spirit, and hardens Pharaoh's heart, among other actions. These actions raise questions about God's ethical character especially when considered alongside descriptions of God as righteous and just. However, Routledge suggests that these actions are not necessarily indictments of God's ethical character, but rather affirmations of His ultimate sovereignty. The OT writers assert God's authority over both good and evil in the world. Routledge mentions that sometimes God allows evil to grow, making it ripe for judgment. This could apply to various biblical narratives like the hardening of Pharaoh's heart or Saul's animosity towards David. Besides. Routledge cites other scholars like Brueggemann, who highlights the conflicting testimonies within the OT, and Eichrod and Goldengay, who dispute that God's actions often confirm the paths that people have already chosen for themselves. For example, when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, the final decision still lies with Pharaoh, who could have been influenced by considerations like the cost of letting Israel go. In summary, Routledge argues that the ethical complexities in the OT do not necessarily contradict the idea of a just and righteous God, but rather indicate the tension between God's sovereignty and human free will. Additionally, the question of whether God changes his mind is complex and nuanced. On one hand, the Old Testament portrays God as unchanging and faithful. On the other, there are instances where God appears to change his mind or seek information. This raises questions about God's omniscience and reliability. Routledge contends that the OT writers often use anthropomorphic language to convey specific aspects of God's character, not to be dissected for theological precision. For example, when God is depicted as asking questions or changing his mind, it doesn't necessarily challenge his sovereignty or foreknowledge. Instead, it maintains his engagement with humanity and the world.
Routledge suggests that when God changes his mind, it is often in response to human sin. This points out the gravity of sin and its impact on God's plans and his emotional state. When God relents from sending judgment, it reiterates his compassion and willingness to forgive. These portrayals offer valuable insights into God's nature. He is not a distant observer, but an involved participant in human affairs. The tension between love and wrath in God's actions is not due to any internal inconsistency, but arises from his complex relationship with humanity. Therefore, the idea that God changes his mind should not be seen as a challenge to his omniscience or reliability, but rather as an indication of his dynamic interaction with the world. Next, Rutledge explores the age-old question of why the wicked seem to prosper a concern that is deeply embedded in the Old Testament wisdom literature and prophetic writings. The OT often suggests a moral law of cause and effect, where obedience to God leads to blessings, while disobedience leads to suffering. This is evident in the covenant God made with Israel, as described in Deuteronomy and various Psalms. However, real-life observations challenge this principle. Both Jeremiah and the psalmist question why the wicked seem to live at ease and accumulate wealth, while the righteous struggle. This creates a theological dilemma, as it appears to contradict the integrity and justice of God. One explanation offered is that the prosperity of the wicked is temporary. Psalms and Proverbs suggest that true happiness and security are not found in wealth, which is transient. The righteous, it is debated, will ultimately receive their rewards, while the wicked will face their downfall. This perspective maintains God's character as just, but it doesn't fully resolve the emotional and existential weight of the question. The book of Habakkuk adds another layer to this issue by questioning God's seeming inactivity in the face of injustice. God's response, using the Babylonians to punish Israel, only complicates matters, as it appears to contradict God's own nature, which cannot tolerate evil. In summary, while the OT often presents a straightforward moral cause-and-effect relationship, the lived experience of individuals like Jeremiah, the psalmist, and Habakkuk shows that the issue is more complex. The tension between the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous remains an unresolved question, one that challenges but does not negate the fundamental belief in God's justice. Also, in his analysis of the book of Job, Routledge explores the theological perspectives on suffering presented by Job and his friends. The friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, adhere to the law of retribution which posits that suffering is a direct result of one's own sin. Eliphaz suggests that Job's suffering is a form of divine correction, urging him to seek God's mercy. Bildad extends this by appealing to tradition and natural law, repeating that God's justice is infallible. Zophar goes further, speculating on the hidden sins that must have led to Job's condition. A later figure, Elihu, introduces the concept of disciplinary suffering. He disputes that suffering serves as both punishment and instruction from God. While Elihu's perspective is not entirely incorrect, it oversimplifies the complexities of suffering. Routledge underlines that the friend's error lies not in their principles, which are echoed elsewhere in Scripture, but in their rigid application. They fail to consider that not all suffering is a result of sin, nor is all prosperity a sign of righteousness. Job, throughout the narrative, maintains his innocence. He doesn't claim to be sinless, but argues that his suffering is not a consequence of any wrongdoing on his part. His friends interpret his resistance as evidence of greater sin, missing the nuance of his situation. The overarching question of why remains unanswered, underscoring the limitations of a simplistic theological understanding of suffering. Moreover, Rutledge focuses on the limitations of human understanding, as exemplified by the story of Job. 
Routledge contends that Job's friends, despite their orthodox theology, lack the full picture. The prologue reveals that Job's suffering is not a result of his sin, but a test of his piety, orchestrated by God in response to Satan's challenge. This test has implications not just on earth but in the heavenly realm, validating God's words and disproving Satan's accusations. Job's primary concern is understanding what his suffering means for his relationship with God. He knows he's innocent, but is confused about why God seems to have withdrawn his blessings. Job's ultimate relief comes from a direct encounter with God, who reassures him that their relationship remains intact despite the trials. Furthermore, God's response broadens Job's understanding of the universe, emphasizing that God's concerns are far more expansive than just Job's well-being. Although God doesn't provide a direct explanation for Job's suffering, he opens Job's eyes to a larger perspective, suggesting that his suffering may serve a broader purpose that he cannot comprehend due to his limited knowledge. This narrative accentuates the idea that human understanding is limited and that only a direct encounter with God can provide the deeper meaning and reassurance one may seek in times of suffering. In addition, Rutledge dives into the theological complexities presented in the book of Job particularly the principle of retribution and the ultimate vindication of the righteous. Rotledge debates that Job expects vindication within his lifetime, not necessarily after death. This is significant in the context where there is no clear theological view of life after death. Hence, vindication must be earthly. Rotledge extends this to Christian theology, stating that in light of Christ's revelation, believers understand that their ultimate vindication lies beyond this world. While God blesses us now, the best is yet to come and this hope helps us persevere through suffering. Rutledge affirms that suffering is not purposeless. It serves a divine intention even if we don't understand it at the moment. Job himself, despite his suffering, remains confident that God is at work and will bring good from his trials, as expressed in Job 23.10. Further, Rutledge touches on the transformative power of suffering. Job acknowledges the value of his suffering, believing that it serves a greater purpose even if he can't see it. This aligns with the Christian belief in a sovereign, loving, and compassionate God who can bring good out of evil, exemplified most profoundly in the crucifixion of Christ. In summary, Routledge's analysis offers a nuanced understanding of the role of suffering and vindication in the theological narrative, asserting that while the circumstances may differ, the underlying principle of a purposeful, sovereign God remains constant. Last but not least, Routledge digs into the complex relationship between human understanding and divine wisdom. Routledge acknowledges that while the Old Testament encourages questioning God, it highlights the limitations of human comprehension in understanding the divine plan. He cites the example of Job, who questions God's justice but is ultimately humbled when God breaks his silence. God's response to Job serves to indicate the vast difference between human and divine wisdom, urging Job to recognize and submit to God's sovereign authority. Besides, Rotledge mentions Abraham's dialogue with God over the justice of his actions, maintaining that such explanations from God are rare. The central argument is that while it is natural to seek explanations for God's actions or apparent injustices, there are times when no answers are provided. In such instances, Rutledge suggests that humans must be willing to accept God's silence and trust in his ultimate wisdom. He refers to the book of Job and Ecclesiastes, to point out the idea that God's plans are often beyond human understanding, the writer of Ecclesiastes advises acceptance of life's uncertainties and frustrations, trusting that God, the ultimate judge, will act justly. Routledge concludes by reiterating the need for humility in the face of divine inscrutability, quoting Ecclesiastes 5, 2b, God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. 
to encapsulate the idea that human wisdom is limited and should be tempered with humility and trust in God's greater plan. In conclusion, Rutledge's comprehensive analysis of ethics in the Old Testament explores multiple facets, including the relationship between faith and ethical conduct, the role of the law, the significance of narrative, and the guidance of prophets. According to Routledge, true faith in God is not merely ritualistic, but must manifest in ethical living, a principle rooted in the Abrahamic covenant. He disputes that ethical behavior in the OT is deeply intertwined with one's relationship with God, community, and land. The law, especially the Ten Commandments, serves as a reflection of God's character and outlines how His people should live to maintain their covenant relationship. Rutledge categorizes OT law into four areas, criminal, civil, family, and social, each serving to maintain Israel's distinctiveness and mission of revealing God's glory. Besides, Rutledge examines the role of narrative in shaping ethics. He argues that Israel's history serves as a medium for divine revelation, placing ethical imperatives within a narrative framework. For example, the Exodus event was formative for Israel's understanding of God and laid the foundation for ethical behavior. Prophets like Jeremiah and Micah guide people back to the ethical foundations of their covenant faith with God. Micah 6, 8 encapsulates God's ethical requirements to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Additionally, Rutledge explores the unique ethical framework of the OT, which is rooted in the revealed will of God rather than natural justice or societal survival. Also, he discusses the concept of a natural law, a universally recognized moral code that is still divine in origin. Wisdom literature in the OT, particularly in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, focuses on personal morality and social justice, often drawing conclusions from observations of the natural world. Moreover, Routledge addresses moral and ethical complexities associated with God's actions in the OT. He suggests that these complexities affirm God's ultimate sovereignty rather than indict his ethical character. For example, God's actions like sending an evil spirit to Saul or hardening Pharaoh's heart are not necessarily indictments of his ethical character but affirmations of his sovereignty. The Book of Job is another focus, exploring the complexities of suffering and vindication. Job's friends adhere to the law of retribution, but Job maintains his innocence, repeating the limitations of a simplistic theological understanding of suffering. Rutledge contends that suffering serves a divine intention even if we don't understand it at the moment. Lastly, Rutledge underlines the limitations of human understanding in comprehending God's plans. While questioning God is encouraged in the OT, there are times when no answers are provided. In such instances, Rutledge suggests that humans must accept God's silence and trust in His ultimate wisdom. Overall, Rutledge's work offers a nuanced understanding of the multifaceted relationship between ethics, law, narrative, and divine action in the OT, debating that ethical behavior is a manifestation of one's covenant relationship with God.